Welcome back to Immortal X-Friends. I'm Cody. I'm Riley. And just like the combined forces of Rocco and Krakoa, we are here today to talk about the legendary, the controversial crossover event, Ten of Swords. Woo! We're really excited. This has been a long time coming. I just got done telling Riley. This is this is the first time as a as a live comics reader that I've gotten to deep dive into this event with someone. Uh, so I am looking forward to it. Uh, we both read, we've both read it twice now. Mm-hmm. We read them as individual issues <laughs> and then the beautiful, um, hardcover collection yeah. that we both own that I mm-hmm. think we're both a fan of. So, uh, I think the easy answer to start with or the easy question to start with is Riley, which, which sword is yours? Oh man. Cause I see you on that page right now. Yeah, I'm looking at the Blades of Araco page uh, in the hardcover. Um, man, these are all really awesome. I guess while you look at that, we should break down probably what this is first for the uninitiated. Yeah. So, uh, Ten of Swords was the first big crossover event of the uh, the Krakoa era of X-Men. This began in uh, 2020 after, after delays from COVID. Uh, but when it came out, it saw Apocalypse reuniting with uh, his original four horsemen and uh, his mysterious wife Genesis we've not heard about and it essentially leads to a competition of blades and other things that we'll get into uh, between the mutant nation of Krakoa <laughs> with the uh, warrior nation of Araco and essentially it turns into X-Men Mortal Kombat yeah it does so, uh, so that is that is Ten of Swords and it, it crossed over with all titles at the time um, with each one serving as a, a chapter in this 22-part event, so uh, this is this is a this is a big one. This is a big one. This is a big one. This a might be a pieces. longer conversation. So, Riley, did you figure out your sword? I think so. I think as I look at all of these swords and just like the descriptions and what they each look like and stuff, I think the one that's the coolest one is Death Sword. It's called the Black Bone of Amdwat or something. And it's just, it's sick. It's, it's pretty super great. cool. But I love Pogger Pog, though. So, I mean, yes. I mean, all I want in this new era of X-Men is just a Pogger Pog book. The Pogger Pog book. Yeah. I, I think there might still be a chance. Yeah, and if not, maybe. Marvel, if you are listening, uh, Riley and I are very willing to collaborate on the Pogger Pog book. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, I I think I've got to go a sword design that I absolutely love. And it is it is bringing me to my, my final fantasy jrpg days is cable sword the light of galador mm. i i think that i did, i love the look of that sword sure big fan <clears throat> it's big it powers up a space station <laughs> it's big <laughs> and yes. it's great mm-hmm. so we are talking about ten of swords um and i think we're just going to go through we both have a lot of notes yeah we uh for for our listeners as we reread some of these stories or read them for the first time in some instances we have been um intentional about taking a lot of notes things that stand out to us and stuff like that so um much of this conversation might be us just kind of going down our lists yeah um but we'll try to be good at keeping things cohesive as we go along i think so i think a good way to maybe start this conversation is you read this story originally in single issues as it came out yeah so can you go back to what your first reactions were to this this big story as it's coming out because 
it's, it's easier for a person like me to read it in one sitting and not have to wait for the next issue. So what was your reaction to each individual issue as it came out? And were you loving it at the time or were you frustrated yeah. by some of it at the time? Like what, what do you remember? So I think what, what was funny and I was thinking about this when I was rereading, I remember seeing the solicits advertising Ten of Swords um, right around the time that the uh, Crucible issue of Hickman's X-Men came out. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of swords involved in that one. Sure. Um, and so <laughs> the the trailer image came out and it was, um, I think it's the alternate cover for this actually. And it's the one that I actually have on my first issue of Ten of Swords right. with everyone holding swords. And okay, like the, like, the Mark Brooks cover. Yes, that was, right. that was the first teaser image that I remember seeing. Okay, sure. And I actually felt initially a little negative towards it just because i was enjoying everything that was going on in this connected comics universe that i didn't want it to stall and stop for an event Mm -hmm. which is what you described for um that's avengers x-men eternals yeah and so i remember feeling that way but then covid hit and all Mm -hmm. the books stalled Mm -hmm. and then ten of swords came out in the middle of covid um i think I want to say it started in September or October. And once it hit, um, I was I was in. I was in instantly. Um, the Seeing the buildup and even just the first issue of creation uh, mm-hmm. starting to cross over and reference the teams, the Quiet Council, it truly felt like the, and I have this as one of my big notes, I love Ten of Swords so much because it actually feels like it's the first time that a lot of the Krakoan toys are played with all at once. Mm-hmm. Like okay. everything that has been set up in the individual books are now all on the table. Sure. Um, and so I was, it was kind of like when um, House of X and Powers of X <laughs> were coming out weekly, uh, I was rushing. This is when I remember rushing to the comic store again mm-hmm. every every week right uh, because i wanted the next two chapters okay. or one chapter sometime sometimes there would be a week where one book would come out other times three books would come out um and it was it was really fun it was it was a fun a fun time when this was coming out cool all yeah. right what about you when you got to this um just reminding everyone i gave riley my my short box which is not which very is short. not very short of of the past two years of X-Men comics and said, read this. I organized it for you. Right. How did you feel when you got <clears throat> to Ten of Swords for the first time? Well, um, so my my experience reading through Ten of Swords is, is very different uh, than yours. And I think it'll lead us into a, a, a cool area of yeah. discussion. So I, um, by the time I hit Ten of Swords, not only had Ten of Swords ended, but there was also about 30 issues to read after. Mm-hmm. So my experience with Ten of Swords was I'm flying through all these single issues and I hit Ten of Swords and I recognized this first cover like, okay, I'm pretty sure that a hardcover of this just came out. Yeah. So knowing that this was going to be a big like event and I was able to fly through the entire event in a matter of a couple of days, right? Um and I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time with it. I thought it was... Enough that it you was, bought your own hardcover. I did, yeah. And 
I, I remember feeling at the time that it was really, it had all the epic moments, but the really cool like character moments where each of these characters gets to do something really specific and unique. A lot of standout character moments in these issues. Um, but also having this like huge scale. And I, I remember really liking it and, and liking how some of the things that I expected to happen um, or things that I didn't expect to happen maybe just this definitely subverts expectations it's with a extremely lot of subversive and i think that was probably the biggest issue that a lot of people had with it right um <clears throat> as i go back and like you know my experience now is I, I read all of these issues and then i wonder what the reactions were to this so i'll go back on um, on some reddit forums or whatever it may be and kind of and, and read about what people were thinking at the time and one of the biggest criticisms of Ten of Swords that I found is that people were sometimes frustrated at this is not turning out to be what, you know, what you might think no. it would be based on some teaser images or just the entire idea of all of these characters having swords. You think it's going to be this like huge I think it's going to be X-Men Lord of the Rings or yeah. X-Men Game of Thrones and sometimes it is and sometimes it is but <laughs> sometimes not it always. is not and so I think you know I, I wonder if my experience I get to fly through all of these issues and not wait right yeah. but where a person who is buying them week by week goes and excitedly purchases the next issues <laughs> and it is not it is not even close to what you think it might be and I can definitely understand why at the time people might be frustrated yeah. with that. Now, I, I think that it just comes down to what your experience is because like, I really enjoyed it the first time and I enjoyed it more the second time. I enjoyed it even so more the second I time wonder, as well. Like, I really understand the criticism. I of, do of like, completely. This is not what I thought it would yeah. be. This is not what I wanted it to be maybe. But I kind of like how bold it is with the like, no, we're not going to just make this straight up like sword fights for 23 issues. I think that's going to be the most, <clears throat> what I'm most interested about is I feel like you and I feel the same way about Ten of Swords where we understand why it did not work mm. for a lot of people. Sure. And there's some elements in here that I think probably don't work for both of us. Right. But overall, I think we're we're pretty positive mm -hmm. on Ten of Swords. Yeah. I, I think it holds a really special place. I think it's going to age really well. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be one of those that... Um, this might sound sacrilegious to X fans listening, but it's like, I really feel like this will be looked at as like, oh, this was the 2020 era of age of apocalypse or dark phoenix or something with just the sense of like look at what they did this was so different this was so new yeah um because i think it's important for us to acknowledge that ten of swords has some of our favorite moments from like the whole era. yeah like, we saw that when we were really, doing our our countdown a few weeks ago the high points in in ten of swords are very high are the high yeah. and I, I guess what it comes down to is i feel like some of the low moments aren't quite as low as maybe some people remember them being. i agree with that i think the biggest low moment for me and it, i didn't feel it when i was rereading it is Ten of Swords obviously stops everything else going on in the main books mm. because it's focused on this event. Right. This event that was spaced out over, you know, about two months of real time <clears throat> only takes place over the course of about a week sure. in inside the fictional universe. And so all of those stories, everything that was going on 
in the main X books, in X Force, in Cable, all of that stuff got put on hold. Mm. And so I think that was the biggest issue, like looking back, that I felt. Okay. And I also feel like that's maybe one of the reasons why after Ten of Swords, the whole X line felt like it was kind of stagnant. Okay. In regards to some of those books, and the only new blood pumped into it was stuff like Sword, was stuff like. Um, the end of Hickman's run, the Hellfire Gala. But it's like some of the main stories I don't feel ever got to be as high as they were okay. before Ten of Swords. And I even felt that way rereading through um, the Hickman omnibus that came out. Mm-hmm. Like Ten of Swords, I stopped reading that book to read the Ten of Swords book. And then when I went back to reading the Hickman book, I was like, these issues are great. But like my fun <clears throat> and fondness of reading through all of it kind of dropped off. Okay, I understand so, that. Mm-hmm. I think something fun that Ten of Swords does do, though, is it gives us a, a huge introduction to a lot of things, especially uh, characters. Like you mentioned a lot in the of introduction, um, we're introduced to Genesis, the wife of Apocalypse, um, but we're also given a full introduction into Arako and all of the mutants that come from that place, yeah. um, which then leads us into the next stuff that comes forward, you know, as we get to the Hellfire Gala mm-hmm. and Planet Size X-Men and stuff, and now X-Men Red, um, which we're enjoying. Um, this does a really cool thing, and it sort of is its own contained yes. thing, but it also does lay down some foundational pieces. It lays down really a lot fun. of new foundational pieces. Yeah. I think what's so fun about it in rereading is it lays down foundational pieces that you would not expect. Mm. That there's a whole secret mutant nation with millions of warrior mutants Mm -hmm. and i'm excited i think we should start yeah yeah let's talk about it um 13 (laughs) 14 minutes in sure um so let's go uh so let's just start at the beginning um i think we both kind of said it i i just love how epic it feels as soon as it starts we have uh the mutant nation of Araco that is now under the subjugation of amenth attacking uh, the the other world realm of Dyrodor and the fact that I just said that sentence and understand what it means I think is part of the problem that people have with Ten of Swords sure. but I think part of what I love is that we go from the sci-fi romp that has been this new era of Krakoa and that Hickman set up with powers of ten dealing with far-flung futures and now we are it, it feels like you're reading Lord of the Rings or mm-hmm. Game of Thrones yeah. right from the beginning mm-hmm. and I, I think that is such a fun way to start yeah um, to kind of pivot right off of that something that I appreciate so much about Ten of Swords and I think we've already alluded to is that while it has all of these really huge robust um, storylines and set pieces and stuff um, something that I appreciate is that even as Ten of Swords begins, it still gives us some really cool character stuff. I really appreciate um, Wolverine searching for the Miramusa. The Miramasa blade, blade. Miramasa, yeah. yeah, his blade and going through his journey to get his sword. But I, one of the issues that is a, a huge standout, uh, standout for me is um, Storm going to the Wakanda. The Marauders issue, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have that as a real highlight for me, too. Um, yeah. I think... To kind of talk about how Ten of Swords is broken down, I think that's important, and we can kind of break this out into our our discussion, is this first big event happens, Mm -hmm. and the two sides are going to have to face each other in a competition of some sort, and then we spend the next 10 issues 
with our the different sword bearers essentially discovering who they are and or and or finding their blade or preparing yeah um and so we kind of get different pov issues yeah we get a pov issue with wolverine <laughs> we get a, a pov issue with storm with magic cypher gorgon apocalypse the Braddocks. Um, we get we get a lot going on with all these different characters, but I the storm one, the storm one's super cool. Um, I, I I think the fact that we have this end of the world event and Storm is trying to get a Wakandan blade mm-hmm. that is very tied to their religion, and she is she's a prisoner of bureaucracy mm-hmm. is is extremely fun. Um, and I feel like the family dynamic that's stressed in there between her and the Royals is, it's believable. Yeah. I, I think it's believable and I feel like there's real hurt there between her and Shuri, between yeah. her and T'Challa in a way that, I think once again, like I was not expecting that to be in Ten of Swords. I was not expecting that to be when the X-Men come into conflict with Wakanda for the first time. Yeah, and I appreciate those things so much um, that you have an issue that, sure, it's, it's about it's a part of Ten of Swords. It's Storm going for her sword, but also she has this internal struggle between like family and like nation. And I appreciate that mm-hmm. so much that like that is the angle that they decided to take with that issue versus it just being like, I'm on a journey to just yeah. like get a sword, you know? And some of these issues I feel like give us really great and powerful character moments when you might just think it's going to be just this epic sword battle thing. I think powerful powerful character moments with characters that don't always get powerful character moments. Mm-hmm. Like right after Storm, um, we we have the New Mutants issue mm-hmm. with Doug and Magic. Yeah. And I think it's awesome. I think it's so good. Mm-hmm. I think Cypher <laughs> freaking out about what's going on. Magic loving her friends. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Magic is is truly she is an MVP of she this is. whole of this whole series, um, and seeing her get a chance to shine in that issue is is so fun. It also made me realize how much I miss those early days of New Mutants. Um, even just seeing uh, what's in the Mondo walk up and say and Krakoa talking to Doug saying I'm you're ignoring me, and then his chest turning into a giant Krakoa <laughs> face is super yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, magic trying to help Cipher not die. Yeah, is is great. Cipher being you know an innocent, sweet you know yeah. he's not who smells like milk. He's not someone that's you know has the mutant power of you know of sword fighting. Yeah, yeah. Or, or any kind of like you know combat. Yes. Yeah. He's so sweet and innocent and magic just trying to find a way to keep him alive while just knowing how how much of a lost cause that is. is... And Krakoa freaking out too. Yeah. That he's going to lose his voice mm-hmm. with, with Cypher being gone. Yeah. Um, there's a really cool line mm-hmm. though that uh, she jokes to him about uh, she'd be more... Doug says like, don't hit my face. That's the moneymaker. And she's like, I'd be more worried about hitting your face if I was preparing you for a wedding and not a funeral. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk later about where, where that reveal goes. <laughs> but that was some fun foreshadowing that sure. it's just a throwaway line when you're reading the first time. Mm-hmm. But rereading now, there is an awful lot of setup for Doug's eventual surprise challenge. Yeah. Um, before we go, we, we kind of brushed over the Wolverine issue. But uh, we are 
I think that Wolverine issue does something really cool where it jumps back and forth between Wolverine searching for his sword and then the Arako sword bearer of Solemn mm-hmm. um, looking for his. And that was something that I was really <laughs> sad the rest of these books didn't continue with. Like, uh, I the, really, like the vice versa. Yeah, the vice versa or slowly introducing some of the other Arakan elements. Because sure. we don't get those again until um, <coughs> Stasis, like midway through. Mm-hmm. And then it does all those solemn issues. But I really like that. I thought that was fun. That was something I remember being excited yeah. when reading the first time. And I really love Solemn as a character. Th- that was he's my just, next question for you. What do you think of so, Solemn? He's so wicked. And, yeah. and it's just... He reminds me, um, maybe not in the like the sassiness, but like uh, in the arrogance of um, Mister Sinister, and I, I love just the like I'm larger than life, wicked, and you know, taunting war. I think for yeah. killing War's husband, yeah. and you know, uh, they go to like break him out of the pit or whatever where he's been in like the worst place imaginable and he's there just like reading and eating reading has wine has bread fruit baskets that people have brought him because he's so beloved still yeah Yeah. and he's just he's so wicked and i love him as uh as an antagonist for wolverine i do too um i think it's a really fun pairing yeah Um, i just i love him as a character and just goes back to all of these iraqi mutants that i just really love i I feel like the Wolverine and X-Force issues that are present in Ten of Swords is is some of Percy at his best. Mm. I think that he does a really good job of still allowing it to be a character-centric story while moving forward with some of the plot elements that he's good at. I really do think Percy is good at writing damaged men. Sure. And so the fact that his issues really get to focus, especially on Solemn and Wolverine mm-hmm. and kind of what drives them, I think it, it made me give a lot of goodwill towards everything else that he was doing after Ten of Swords. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you do continue with some of those plot threads you as, you, yeah. as you leave um, Ten of Swords. Uh, and those are some standout issues. Those are some standout well. issues yeah. with what happens with Solemn, what happens. And Percy was someone who did run with the... Ten of Swords Fallout, I think, more so than some of the other writers after yeah, this. Yeah, I would agree. Um, we we do have a moment here um, where this issue happens. Uh, so while everyone is searching for their swords, we have a Hellions <laughs> issue. Um, yeah. And w- where there are two issues of Hellions as part of this event. And one of the ma- one of the main points is that the Hellions, under Sinister's rule, decide to sneak into other world and steal their swords mm-hmm. so that they are not able to compete in the competition yeah force a um, force a forfeit before the contest can even begin the the plan is so <laughs> good and so dumb yeah and everyone knows it's dumb but they also know that that means they can send sinister out on a mission mm-hmm. um i think that this issue is when hellions became my favorite book yeah i um, understand I think that was when I remember laughing so hard at this, especially with the gravitas coming out of the the Wolverine and the Storm issues, mm-hmm. and you get to this team not being chosen, and I'm sorry, like the fact that Psylocke was not chosen as one of the sword bearers mm-hmm. is is a tough pill to swallow, but right. I'm very glad that she gets to participate in this. In this quest that we will return to a little later but how do you feel I mean, we can talk about it now i guess how do you feel about the hellions of it all i 
Well, in hindsight, as we look at, you know, the first couple of eras mm-hmm. of, uh, of the Krakoan era, Dawn of X and Reign of X, um, Hellions is certainly at the very top of my list of favorites. Um, I definitely love these two issues. I <laughs> Sinister is just a great character and he's just so funny as you read through some of these things and you know like you said there is there's this huge contest that they're preparing for you know it's possible that some of us might not be able to come home um resurrection protocols don't necessarily work the way that they're supposed to and so you know a person could die in this contest and have it you know and have it be permanent so um you have sinister you know flaunting around the quiet council chamber with these crazy ideas and he's just you know making fun of emma frost and messing with the island of krakoa and stuff and i just i love that even in the midst of all of this seriousness that you know none of these council members can even be a part of the the competition like none of the council members are directly involved i think and storm and storm yeah um that they're all kind of stuck sitting in the quiet council chamber just like waiting to see what happens and it's not really caring yeah i think is kind of the main thing that this issue really starts to show it it starts to show this whole event shows the cracks in krakoa Mm -hmm. in a major way they do seem very lax about some of these things that are happening very lax very this is not our problem Mm -hmm. which is i think really interesting to read because as the reader we we know more for the first time than Magneto and Xavier. Right. We know more than the people making the call. And we can see, yeah, you mm-hmm. need to stop this. Like, mm-hmm. this is the only thing. But they're like, I don't... This sounds like a personal issue apocalypse. They're extremely dismissive. Yeah. And... Um, you do this. You All of your actions, you do this without the you blessing. You do this without the, the blessing council. of the council. It very much a like, well, I just don't want to be a part of it. I'm putting my hands up in this kind of it's, approach. It's extremely disappointing, which I think is the point, mm-hmm. um, because it definitely shows the issue of that we'll come back to in Inferno of these men and Moira. This is not part of their plan. <laughs> right. They're not caring. Mm-hmm. They're if it's not a part of my grand design, yeah, my grand plan, it's not it's my not issue. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, so you have these moments where Sinister is just kind of flaunting around yeah. the Quiet Council chamber. And eventually they vote on this idea being something, okay, you know, let's go along mm-hmm. with this. You know, enough hands are, are put in the air, so they, they vote to confirm his idea. But then they uh, they decide that they're going to send Sinister as the leader of yeah. the Hellions, which is not exactly what he had intended. No. Love it. So, so fun. Um, it's not really indicative of the rest of the story, so I think they, they fail. They do not find the swords. No. They finally make it over. And the next time we see the Hellions midway, honestly, not even midway, like four books from the end. Yeah. Um, Havoc is missing an eye. People are limping. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they come across the essentially the Mr. Sinister of Arako. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarn. Tarn the Uncaring, mm-hmm. who, who sits on, uh, we talked about him during X-Men Red a little bit. Um, Tarn the Uncaring is their geneticist. That is his mutant power. Um, and he has his version of the X-Men, the Locust Vile, mm-hmm. that are like Amenth demon mutants. Yeah. And they are some of the scariest creations yeah. on some of the, some shocking comic pages mm-hmm. as the Hellions get killed and torn apart. 
Um, reading now, I think the rules of where you die, if you die in other worlds, make a lot of sense. But reading that the first time, I really thought that some were gone forever. Mm -hmm. And then taking a moment to realize, oh no, they died in Amen. They were in another realm. But like, it's it's scary and it's good. Yeah. And, and they are some shocking characters that I... I, I want them to return again. They return obviously later on in the Hellions run, mm -hmm. but they're they're such bad news. They are very disturbing. <laughs> they're um, so scary. I have opened the data page that yeah. focuses on them right now, and some of you know we've talked the, what's before. What's the baby called? Uh, the baby. The baby <laughs> is the biggest one, of course. Uh, the baby is called Amino Fetus. Amino Fetus is the most disgusting <laughs> thing. They literally just keep saying like, "Don't let Amino Fetus eat." Yeah. The lumbering shame whose touch snuffs the ember of mutation, know his grasp, no humiliation, but most vitally know this, amino fetus must not eat. So that's that That was Sinister's real plan. He did yeah. not care about stealing the swords. He wanted to get there so that he could steal some of that sweet, sweet Arako DNA. Yeah. And, and he gets to. These are great characters, and the data page just gives you enough information on each one of them to really kind of creep you out to and be give afraid. you an idea of how disturbing these mutants are. And then you get three pages of them tearing apart the Hellions, mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So good. These are definitely standout issues. These are sta sure. such standout issues where they are so disconnected. I think that's the biggest thing that I love about um, what Wells does with Hellions is he plays with the toys that he's given mm -hmm. like again and again and he's like oh cool there's a demon dimension Sinister wants that yeah he's going to get it oh they're warriors let's make them terrifying mm -hmm. where I just I yeah it delivers so much and yeah. he's he's one though <coughs> that he follows through on it too he he delivers later on um so that's that's what Hellions are up to they get back and obviously Sinister he shows he, he, he frames his own death or mm -hmm. frames the death of everyone else yeah murders all of the murders the rest in of the hellions blood, and then you know please somebody help us wow <laughs> um i think some of our last few before we get to the actual competition um there's a lot going on with cable Mm -hmm. And the Summers family. Um, yeah. Cable has a brilliant line of the first time I've ever stabbed anything back to life, mm -hmm. which is when he plugs his sword into the sword station to charge yeah. it up. The sword station has been deserted uh, with some other alien ghost type things um, that make their present. Uh, I really like parental Gene and Cyclops. I think it's a really good look for them. Yeah. Um, I think that the whole theme of Ten of Swords of this idea of several people being conflicted with children fighting yeah. for the nation that they made is is really neat and I think explores some of the bigger themes of what this is about. Mm -hmm. um, and I just... Also, I miss Teen Cable. Yeah. I, I really do. Teen I, Cable was certainly a highlight in the first... I miss first it a lot. I miss months. it a lot yeah. when rereading. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really appreciate so many of the things that Ten of Swords does. Um, yeah, Teen Cable was great. I remember on my first read when you have some of the Teen Cable issues with the sword station and things, just kind of 
wondering where that was gonna going to go. Yeah. It, it didn't feel the same as a lot of the other issues. You know, um, Cable already had his sword by that point, and so I knew that it was going to set up something. Yeah. But feeling very, I don't know, just very kind of, I have no idea where this is going to go. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me at this moment. And Do you it feel like it pays off by the end? I definitely think it yeah. pays off by the end. And I think it definitely makes a lot more sense on a second read-through. I think so, too. I think that might be one of those moments that, you know, we talked about before. Like, when you read this particular issue, knowing that it's going to go somewhere, but now I have to wait another week for the next step. You know, and maybe being a little bit frustrated by that particular issue, um, it, it doesn't at the time feel like it pushes the story forward. Um, but I do appreciate it as uh, now that I know the full picture. Yes. Um, so we should get into the actual beginning I think of we the should. contest. I think we should get into the contest. I think we should get into that. I feel like I just have one point that I want to make. Okay. And I make this point the few times that these issues come up um i think that all of the authors really do a solid job of um connecting mm -hmm. everything together and making it feel like a chapter into a chapter and i didn't realize this when the books were coming out but i realized when going back um a lot of them were co-written by yeah. each other like some of the marauders issues mm -hmm. were co-written by duggan and Percy sure and I feel like that really helped with the consistency and the characters they focus on um, and even uh, I think creation stasis and destruction uh, the ten of swords like one shots mm -hmm. were co-written by Hickman and Howard yeah but I will some of the Excalibur issues in particular feel like they do not necessarily play by the rules okay. that the rest of the books are I feel like um, everyone gets on board with the assignment of moving the story along, kind of pausing their individual plots, mm -hmm. except for Excalibur. Okay. Because I feel like with <laughs> these books, we still see stuff with Jubilee and Shogo. Mm -hmm. We still see stuff with like the other random Captain Britain members. We still see stuff that doesn't necessarily pertain to the contest uh -huh. and really slows it down. And I think you could read Ten of Swords pretty much by itself and know what's going on yeah. until you get to the Excalibur issues. And I, I think, think that's and I think those are the biggest missed opportunities that when I'm rereading through it as someone who's read everything, the Excalibur issues are still like I'm like, oh man, like this is slowing down the rest of the story I, for me. Yeah, I agree with that. Um and I also remember reading um, all of the Excalibur issues the first time around and being the most confused with what was going on in those stories that it, it just felt a little bit more convoluted, a little bit more like, I just don't know yeah. where this is going. Um, Excalibur being really fun and just kind of off doing mm -hmm. its own just kind of crazy stuff, still kind of feeling like I, I just... It, this one was hard for me to follow. I'm not really sure where this is going to end up. Like yeah. it, it didn't, it didn't always feel like it had an end game to I me. Agree. So I, I definitely agree with some of your assessment. I, yeah. I will say, um, when I reread this whole event, some of the, some of the other world stuff and the Saturnine stuff and the cards and, and all of this stuff that is like 
heavy Excalibur. Heavy magic Excalibur. Yeah, yeah, that's some of the stuff that still leaves me scratching my head a little bit. You know, like I, I this just feels very convoluted. I'm not really sure what's happening here. Um, but, you know, overall, yeah. I like some of the stuff, the other world stuff. It's, I do it's too. really interesting and really fun, but I definitely can agree that yeah. some of those things are a little more convoluted than they should be. Something that I do like is how um, Brian Braddock becomes the champion of Avalon, mm-hmm. which is technically the realm that's fighting. It's not Krakoa, mm-hmm. it's Avalon. And in the same way that uh, Poggerpog, who we'll talk about, the other champion of Arako, is actually from Amen. Mm-hmm. So it's like each of them has an Amen and an Avalon representative, and then right. the rest are the mutants. So I, I just thought that was a nice that I did not realize the first time sure. um, of why he got to play. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone else did. But um, So let's get to the actual competition. So everyone <laughs> finds their swords. The Hellions are on their mission. Mm-hmm. We are assembled. Um, and so we have our, our nine sword bearers of Krakoa, our ten sword bearers of Arako, uh, and we get to see them gathered we get to see all of the realms of other worlds being assembled for this competition mm-hmm. um and i love how no one has really any idea what's going on yeah the as soon as the champions of Krakow are assembled <laughs> and like go through the gate they're ready for a battle they're ready for a fight and nothing mm-hmm. happens yeah you yeah, you have Saturnine kind of like playing this game where she just reveals enough information enough, yeah. that you know that she's like in control of everything that's going on, but almost to like a frustrating extent. If yeah. not only if you're one of the characters that's involved in the contest, but also as like the reader that you're like, okay, Saturnine, like what what is going on? Like what is what's happening here? You're obviously like pulling strings in all these different directions, you know, um, as all of our Krakoan uh, sword bearers show up for the contest you know she gives each of them a card and that isn't really explained at that time yeah. so you're just like okay you're in control of this but I don't really you know and it, it can be almost frustrating it really can be almost frustrating um, and I think the person who sums that up the most is Apocalypse who tells everyone like we will play by the rules until we don't have a reason for it to suit us. Mm. And he lasts two minutes yeah. until he gets his own card and is pissed off. And he's like, rule, we're done. Yeah, I'm going to go find her. I'm ending this. Yeah, and I love that he just straight up like squishes the card the in his card. gigantic hand that like, I do you know who you're talking to. Like, I'm not going to be a part it's of this It's so game. good because Apocalypse has been so diplomatic mm. while also being a beast throughout mm-hmm. this entire era and even now he's been like let's do it let's follow the rules let's see what happens and then he's done and we mm-hmm. were reminded who he is instantly yeah and i love some of the gravity of like <clears throat> you know we are told time and again that apocalypse is this ancient mutant that he yeah. was there at the beginning and and all of this stuff you know and um i'm i have a page open right now where he says to saturnine um Everything that I've done, every gate I have opened here is a step towards something I've been crawling toward for millennia. And yeah. you kind of always are reminded that like Apocalypse also has this gigantic plan that he's been dreaming of for thousands of years, you know. It's this kind of cool like dynamic as these two characters each individually have their plans mm-hmm. and Apocalypse almost has to just kind of like 
bend his plans to Saturnine's will. It's, yeah, after, like you said, this has been his entire goal. Mm-hmm. This this paints his decades of comics villainy in yeah. a new light, where it's like everything that he's been doing, you know, with this retcon has been to prepare to go save his family. Yeah. Which is so great. I am I'm probably way too invested in the Apocalypse family mm. and the Genesis romance. Like I as soon as it's revealed, obviously she is under the helm of, of Amen. Um I I very much want them to to reconcile throughout mm-hmm. this event and sure. not not end in, in Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah. As uh, shortly after these conversations between Apocalypse and Saturnino, like the next page Mm-hmm. They run into Genesis, the yeah. life of Apocalypse. So, and so yeah. you have this broken relationship on the side of this conflict. You have the broken land on each side. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about essentially all of the X-Men issues, like specifically the Hickman X-Men issues, delivering the same story, but through a different lens, essentially like three times? I know you made a joke to me when I told you I was rereading it, where you're like, take a shot every time it says mm, the, the Twilight Sword, sword tore asunder. Uh, like, yeah. And we do, we see that same story, and we see some of the same panels, I think three or four times. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm conflicted about this, because on one hand, I really like... I As I was reading Hickman's X-Men Omnibus recently, mm-hmm. just the, the solo X-Men issues... Um, I was surprised at how early they started dropping seeds for what would become Ten of Swords. It's even in Powers of Ten. Right. Yeah. Several months later. Um, So on one hand, I really appreciate just how far in advance they knew exactly what they were going to do with this thing. It's very impressive. As somebody to me, as somebody who's not is not a writer who doesn't think about these kinds of longevity, like how far I've planned out story points and stuff like that. It's really impressive for me to see like in real time, an issue released a year and 10 months before it became important, you know, and that to me, like the longevity and the foresight is so impressive. But at the same time, you do kind of get the same story about three different times. Um, and, you know, you can argue that at a certain point, it's it's almost filler that it's like, hey, we, we just want to remind you of a few things in the story that are really important. So we're going to just like make you read it again, <laughs> you know. Um, so I understand that criticism. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if it would have been cool because one of the one of the times that you get the story told to you is by the summoner by i summoner, think it, it's yeah. the first time i think i think you we get... see it summoner apocalypse genesis right. i think those are the three times we're told the story now in in my memory which is not as quite as photographic as yours when it comes to you know the differences between those particular yeah. three instances there aren't massive differences each time the i think the intentions the intentions and the perspective are what changes each time Mm -hmm. in regards to who is victorious why something happens Mm -hmm. and the cause and effect (coughs) i think sometimes the images are literally the same right the text is just different for me as just a casual reader who has only been invested in, in these books for a short amount of time I did not pick up on differences between the three different yeah. times that you're given the same story. So for me, 
it felt more like filler than maybe it was intended to. Yeah. And I, I remember wondering, like, you know, I almost needed to do the flip back and forth thing between the three different instances to see, like, if there are any major differences. Um, and I remember wondering, like, if they're intentionally going for, like, an unreliable narrator thing, like, maybe... Um, you're getting little bits of the same story from these three perspectives, but like you can't tell which one of them is the truth or which one of them is like embellished detail or whatever. Um, for me, I just kind of felt like it's the same thing three times. Yeah. I don't really understand the, the purpose for kind of feeding it to me again. There's something in here that you want me to see, and I'm not seeing it. That it, it just wasn't bold enough a like boom in my face thing for me to tell that there was any sort of difference. So yeah, I guess that's how I feel about. I it. think I feel I feel somewhere <laughs> in the middle between that and understanding it. I feel like there's a version of Ten of Swords that really wanted each chapter to be solely from like kind of like Game of Thrones does as a book, like through a point of view character. Mm. And that would have made these that much more impactful. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that it struggles between doing that and becoming an ensemble story really makes some of those issues feel redundant. Mm -hmm. But especially as you and I have been rereading through a lot of other Hickman, like he does that all the time though. Like he literally will reuse the same panels to really show you something's important. Right. And I feel like because it's so concentrated in this 22 issue event and three of those chapters are, um, pretty much the same story mm-hmm. i think that's why it feels that way but it, to his credit by the time we see all of the characters that it shows we know them and we feel like we know them mm-hmm. when a month before we didn't know they even existed True. and so part of me wonders if that's what's going on where it is that repetition of of those events and of those characters but adding just a little more where by the time we finally see um the uh the white tower by the Mm -hmm. time we finally see some of these we're like oh yeah i know exactly who you are and what your role was in this yeah things are just kind of filled in just kind of filled in with our expectations of Mm -hmm. that i could see that but um, i think that's fair we finally get the champions meet they meet at a very extravagant dinner Mm -hmm. um the meal is so gaudy and absurd and they even uh you get to read a menu early Mm -hmm. on that talks about where everything's from. It's very an intricate, and they describe that they're going <laughs> to be eating the great horned beast, mm-hmm. um, which which is revealed to be a unicorn. Yeah, uh, that made me laugh. And I loved. Uh, I don't remember exactly the name of the character, but one of the characters being like, "I am beyond hunger, but for the great beasts, like I will feast I will or still something." Feast. Like beautiful, so good. And I I want to take a second to yeah. interject that like. A lot of the criticisms that I've seen uh, based on this entire era of, of X-Men comics is like that sometimes the data pages are are something like menus. Yeah. Like it's the menu for the, the feast that they're attending. And I love it. I, I love think it it's too. great. Like I, I just want to like address that. Like I, I see people frustrated. Like, you know, I buy this issue and I'm really excited <laughs> and and here is just a full page just wasted on a menu. But honestly... Like, the data pages in this whole event, I think, are used very well. I think so. And just as a as a whole, not even just limited to Ten of Swords, yeah. but just as a whole, like the data pages are just like really fun as a, just a, a medium that exists. Yes. Like, 
I, they don't all have to be like serious with no. this like earth shattering information. You know, not everything has to be Sage's logbook or Beast doing some kind of heinous crap behind the scenes. It can and be a menu. It, it really can. It, it can, can just be, be the, the betting menu. odds of who's going to die. Yeah, that was another just, page that I absolutely love. Yeah, some of these can be silly, and it's it's fine. It I feel like it adds to the enjoyment when some of these are like, oh, we get to read this. Like somebody took the time to like sit down and write out the entire menu for what they're gonna and have how it's prepared and little descriptions yeah. like it it's it's great it's cool it's fun i love the data pages i, I will fight people I, <laughs> I'm, I'm right is, there with this you. is yeah. a hill that i stand on um these these whole issues are a hill that i will stand on oh sure um the <laughs> the sizing up of everyone, mm-hmm. especially by Magic and Cable, yeah, and and Gorgon, um, mm-hmm. are some of my favorites. Uh, realizing each other's power sets, the flirtiness between Death and Storm. Um, Storm literally like puts a flower on top. It's of Death's it's head. so good. <laughs> it's, so um, it's just so funny. Their conversations are amazing. Um, Magic <laughs> has some of my favorite lines in all of comics in this. Uh, including that chonky dinosaur is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the generations of heroes play really well because um, you have Storm and Logan talking about we need to watch out for the kids mm-hmm. while you have the kids doing their shenanigans. Then you have Apocalypse and Genesis. Mm-hmm. There's a great panel where everyone is trying to kill each other at mm-hmm. the dinner and Apocalypse and Genesis are sitting at the other end saying to each other, like it seems you did well with the children <laughs> like you do and it's it's so fantastic and there's some of those moments that are like obviously why i think x-men has such a big fandom mm-hmm. to begin with but getting to see those fandom moments already with um with these new characters is great yeah um in the midst of this big giant contest that we've been talking about for 40 minutes now or whatever you still have these really silly moments you know like you said magic trying to figure out like yeah are they right-handed or left-handed like i'm gonna just throw my glass and see and see which one which hand they use to catch it um so many of there's another moment that just i do they're (laughs) walking walking into the dinner and they're handed their cards and magic is walking in with pogger pog Mm -hmm. who we've mentioned several times that he is a giant alligator dinosaur thing and Pogger Pog starts to eat the card and Magic then tries to eat hers and he goes oh dumb dinosaur you can't even eat these aren't even food but she determines that he's a moron but she's the one who also tried to eat it it's just she is she is so great in this Mm -hmm. whole book um and there's moments like that that are just great Mm -hmm. I love it um what else is good uh I have a lot of notes on here that are just like, LOL Betsy, LOL Doug, LOL Magic being self-taught. Sure. Um, but my first is, I do love how the first actual sword fight is against someone named Iska the Unbeaten. Mm-hmm. And Betsy just gets screwed over so fast yeah. and shatters and knowing what I know now and spoiler alert for the rest of Excalibur and Knights of X, Betsy's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But that moment, I was so excited. I remember Marvel, 
uh, on their Instagram actually put out like a poll right before that issue dropped mm -hmm. and it was it, they made it look like old school like Street Fighter animations and it was Betsy versus Iska okay. and they're like who's gonna win <laughs> and <laughs> I remember very early betting against Betsy and I'm glad I'm glad they committed yeah. at least for a while of, of killing her off right away yeah it definitely is it's a little bit shocking and a little bit frustrating yeah you know because it kind of gives you an idea of like what this this contest is but it's also like. drawn by phil noto so i'm okay with it mm -hmm. i'm like oh this is beautiful cool sure. um this is the same issue though where uh where doug gets married yeah uh, doug gets to, married. to bay the blood moon a mutant who we cannot understand but uh, <clears throat> this is when the competition instantly, you either, I think, love it or hate it. Yeah. Um, this is a controversial one, I think. Um, this is where it changes because it's the first competition and it gives you a sword fight right away. It also gives you Jubilee and her dragon, which whatever. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, it, but it goes from sword fight to Doug getting married. Yeah. On one hand, I appreciate the fact that right after the like the sucker punch of like oh hey one of our heroes just died you know like and in a really kind of easy and quick manner then you know as a reader you're left going oh crap and then you turn a couple more pages and here is a wedding yep. versus the next sword fight um i appreciate the fact that they did that because you know that it was on you know like oh, oh we're yeah. gonna lay this right at the right out that this is going totally... to be funny and weird and... yeah um i kind of love it i do too i really love it i love it more on rereading i was i was one that was disappointed the first time reading it where i'm like okay i love it while also acknowledging that i still just kind of don't get it like <laughs> like why is just, that they, fitting yeah they just like we're just gonna have these these two characters get married, you know, and they have an interest. Like, sure, like Bay the Blood Moon and and uh, Cipher have a really interesting dynamic, and in that Cipher doesn't immediately understand her and stuff like that. Like, there's there's this cool connection and stuff, but and I can't tell if she's just like just also likes how small and cute he is, so mm -hmm. she's willing to defend him, right? But like, yeah. If I had, like, I I love it. I think it's just so out of left field yeah. and bonkers that it just works for me. But at the same time, like, I definitely, I, get I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that this one is just so, like, wait, why? Like, for what? I know. <laughs> um, and another thing is just that, like, they really, like, they fall in love super quick, you know? And it just, it, it's a little bit like, wait. What? Huh? Yeah. And like, you know, Bay the Blood Moon is really like, you know, I have chosen you and for you I will love ferociously and, and whatever it might be. But Doug is just kind of like, you're so pretty. You're and then so, he just like, yeah. it goes right into like, you know, she's my wife and I love her and I, you know, will stay by her side. And I, like, I'm just a little bit like, I mean, I, I kind of love this. I know. But I, I, what? And clearly it's working <laughs> out because we see them in Inferno still yeah. as a couple. Things are going okay for them. Great. Uh, Rockins must really keep their vows mm -hmm. and mean it and believe it. Yeah. Uh, it's a, yeah, this was a controversial one for sure. I, I understand any criticism that people throw at this. It, it feels very random. It does. Yeah, yeah. It feels, it feels random. It feels a little forced, but then so do the next several, uh, we have a contest over several pages. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Some are magic showing up for a contest, and she has an amazing line there. She's fighting Pogger Pog, saying, I thought your name was Hog, because hogs get butchered. And (laughs) just... Part of this podcast could have just been me quoting magic, mm-hmm. but um, she's she truly. I think this was my note too. Like she's the MVP of this yeah. book with she so, has many, so things. many high points, and she's ready to show up. And then they have to do an arm wrestling competition. Yeah, a contest of arms. A contest of arms. Uh, how do you feel about Wolverine and Storm drinking? Oh, I guess we should talk about like the the crazy cool. Um, the collapsed reality, the collapsed reality summoner Wolverine fight. Yeah, I mean, what's super fun is that in in this, I don't know, like twenty page span, mm-hmm. you have all of this just kind of ridiculousness that gets all happening at once. At once. Yeah. And what's fun is like the way that it's all laid out. You know, coming from what we talked about a few minutes ago, like you have Betsy Braddock being shattered into a million pieces. And then you follow it immediately with a, a wedding, and you're like, "Hold on, what? I yeah. thought this was a sword fight contest." And then you go into an arm wrestling competition, and then like all these different weird realities, and a drinking contest, and all of these just really strange things. And I appreciate that like the wedding feels like a pivot point where you're just like, okay, we got into a really weird space, and we're just gonna roll with it now. Um, yeah, all of the different realities, um, the artwork is very is cool. So cool. It's so impressive. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm sure that it must be several artists contributing yeah. at, at one time or whatever. Yeah, but we've like, not done our research on that, but, but those pages are a trip. So many at. different like different styles of art that show up on the single page. Yeah. Like it, it's really cool the way that this was done. And just as a whole, I think you know, as an aside, I feel like something that I love about this event as a whole is the fact that there are so many different artists that it, it feels so cohesive as a as a full event while also being very choppy with like we have a different artist for like every subsequent issue i think it's just really cool i agree i think because sometimes you'll read a different event yeah and the art changes every issue still and it does not feel good like there's some that stand out more than others of like ah this one's hard to read because the layout's weird the art's weird this is one where i'm i'm with it as well and i really love it yeah, you have, um, I think where things really, you know, frustrating in a great way, but I feel like where things start to get really frustrating in this contest is you have Wolverine and Solemn having their big thing or, or with, Summoner, with Summoner, yeah. Summoner, and Wolverine wins and Saturnine says, well, this was a fight to the death and Summoner was the one who, who died. died, so, so Araco, point goes to yeah. Araco. And that is where you really start to get into the like, okay, everything is stacked against Krakoa. Yeah. And I don't know if that is ever actually paid off. Mm. I like, I think it, I think it is obviously <laughs> in the sense, like there's payoff at the end of this whole event. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awesome. Like, well, we've talked about it before. No big surprise. Like Cyclops and Jean Grey reformed the X-Men and mm-hmm. say we're heroes before we're politicians, before we're war captains. Right. We're gonna go save our people. And that's amazing. And that is awesome. And that's the heart of this whole event mm-hmm. is like cutting through bureaucracy and doing the right thing. I think is kind of that that to me feels like the heart of of Ten of Swords sure. for, for both sides. Mm-hmm. But what was Saturnine's plan? I guess to get the Captain Britain Corps back, yeah. and I guess she needed to wait until it all. Like I don't know. Like if you ask me right now, describe why she let 
Araka continue to win it, like, I don't know what that is or why. Yeah. And that's okay, I guess. Yeah. But, um, so with that being said, we see the contests. Yeah, we go through there some really are, cool we stuff. We have a few pages of just, like, it's a montage sequence of contests. And there's everything from, there's a fashion show, there's pushing boulders up a hill, there's mm-hmm. a puzzles, there's a food eating competition, um, and you get to see very briefly who wins by just the tally up of points at the end of each one. And just how far Araco is just just demolishing them and some some of the competitions are extremely fun but i want to ask you Riley, what contest are you best suited for um definitely not the fashion show no no definitely not the fashion show um that's a good one that's a good question i don't know I, Probably the puzzle one. The puzzle I got one? really good at doing puzzles during shutdown when the at the beginning of okay. the pandemic. Yeah, I did my fair share of puzzles on the kitchen table. I'd be pretty good. It looks at that like one. there's a really fun like dance off or karaoke one. Mm-hmm. I think I could have a fun time with that. Sure. Um, I think I would probably fail the eating one. Mm-hmm. I think I'd throw up probably with some of that stuff. Um, but the the dancing karaoke one looks pretty good. Looks pretty mm-hmm. fun. Um, I think Araka's still got the point for that one, though, so I'm guessing that some of them are pretty good. Yeah, seems like it. Bay the Blood Moon is the one that's uh, in the foreground of that yeah. of that panel, so it seems like Doug's wife is, is pretty solid at karaoke. I think why I love that Cypher exists as a character, and especially in this, is like, even without intending to, he's probably the closest to most people's analog of what it would be like being in this competition where it's like (laughs) the best you could hope for is a karaoke or a I'm going to get married Mm -hmm. as your competition. Otherwise you're dead. Yeah. Fun little detail before we move on is that as the, uh, as some of the champions push their rocks up the hill, of course, magic, our MVP is the one who's racing after her rock that is slowly, you know, getting away from her down this mountain. So good. It's great. Um, we have a few, I guess, highlights that trickle down, honestly, now to this day. Red Root, which is the Araco version of Cypher, gets mm-hmm. captured and put in a bottle for, for her winning this competition, but breaking stuff in the crooked market. Uh, I thought that was interesting that that is still like a dangling plot there that's only now getting resolved. And it's been about two years yeah. like since this happened, and they're just now addressing it. Um, there's one competition that's literally just like kill a kitten. Yeah, <laughs> kill a kitten. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I we talked about this during X Men Red a few weeks ago, where Storm it opens up with her fighting, and she doesn't have her powers or anything like that. She does that again with Death here, yeah. and she messes him up very fast and like tosses him to vampires, um, and Death is still there, like trapped by these vampires in like current day i forget what issue (laughs) referenced it but this definitely just continues the trend that we've talked about where this era loves to show you every few months storm fighting without her powers Mm, just how capable just how capable she is but it's also like we (laughs) we've seen it so many times now Mm. um i think that should be a ranking episode that we do of just ranking the best the best storm one-on-one fights yeah because we have enough um we're kind of winding down we here are, to the we end, of the, end for of the an competition. Hour. I feel like we've been talking an hour for 
you know, 22 issues. That's pretty good. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, good. listeners, if you made it this far. Um, As we get to the end of the competition, or we, yeah. we start to come to a close, a few things are happening here. One is that on Krakoa, you have Cyclops <coughs> and Jean that have heard... Um, heard Cable tell them telepathically that the contest is not going well. Yeah. Uh, things are not going the way that we'd hoped, that Saturnine seems to be stacking the contest against us, and so they are wanting to jump into action against what the, the Quiet Council is, is advising them to do. Um, and on the other hand, you have Gorgon versus the White Sword yep. is one of the, one of the last uh, challenges that happened in the competition. And when things finally start to pivot toward Krakoa is as Gorgon takes all of these these minions of the White Sword out. Yeah. He's he gets, able to even up the score. It's a and, point for each one. Yeah. And finally, it seems that, you know, as Gorgon is going to have to take out all of these guys before he even has a chance to go after the White Sword in, in battle and combat, Finally, Saturnine kind of throws them a bone, and it seems like they were they were just coming to this point anyway. That Saturnine all along knew this was where yeah. things are going to even up. The score is going to be tied, um, and it's cool. Finally, Krakoa gets their moment where you know all, all of a sudden we're not just kind of the 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 downtrodden team. That we're going to finally get a chance to to get this contest back into play. It's bloody though, too. Gorgon's death is is pretty memorable mm-hmm. um for a character who i did not know much about before this era and like still don't he is he is extremely prominent and memorable across this mm-hmm. and um it's it's solid i i really like what they do with him in this yeah gets his eyes stabbed out oh, gosh. yeah that is how a mutant dies children yep. says my boy apocalypse so i think from this point on what really happens during the the x-men issue is that and I was shocked by this when reading and rereading it's pretty much revealed that the era of Krakoa has no Mm X-Men that it's a term that they don't even want used right but that's on official documents and that was one of the coolest reveals of just like oh my gosh you're right and that's done in the data page as well Mm -hmm. and for and we talked about this in our last one but we're for Cyclops to be like we are X-Men we are going after them um nothing else matters that council scene is so strong and gene and scott having to tell emma and kurt and kitty to like stay on the council otherwise it's going to be run by sinister and exodus and mystique and shaw like is is very cool um it makes me mad at xavier though like it really does um he comes across throughout this whole era he is and i think that's the point it's, it's always difficult when reading X-Men to remember, like, he's not Patrick Stewart Xavier. Right. He is a manipulative <clears throat> jerk. Yeah. Who has a god complex. He's and, so morally gray in this era, for sure. And it's, this is one of my favorite scenes. It makes the council, like, the council is weak. Mm-hmm. It makes me even more excited to keep reading Immortal X-Men. Yeah. Um, because there, there is a lot going on. And the true heroes are not any of the people that are in charge. Mm-hmm. It is these random sword bearers and Scott and crew who decide to go and save everyone. Yeah. The X-Men are its heroes. Great scene. The X-Men are its heroes. Very cool. Yeah. 
And it's a really great moment that, you know, you know that the climax is coming, but it's just a, a really great setup for, you know, the home run that the last issue of, of Tennessee. And it is, is a home run. Mm-hmm. It is a home run. It is the final battle of Return of the King, yeah. complete with a ghost army coming right. through and, and wrecking people. Yeah. And it's, I just, I remember loving the way that, you know, I kind of knew that this was going to end with a gigantic apocalypse-led battle yeah. of some kind. But as you go through this entire contest, you know, you get wrapped up in all of these, you know, almost some of the silly things that are going on, some of the characters that are getting pitted against each other, whatever. You kind of get wrapped up in what's happening. And then remembering that at the very end, it's it's Annihilation. It's going to be Genesis versus Apocalypse um, as the very last contest. But that that last battle is going to be more than just the end of the competition. Yeah. You know, that it's going to be this massive world shattering thing that this whole thing has been leading to forever. Um, so I love some of these final battles that you get here. Um, it just like the scope and the scale of all of this, you know, apocalypse fighting for, for everyone, even though he's having to fight against uh, an entire nation. Yeah. He's still for fighting for a Rocco to free them from Amen. And yeah. free them from this these centuries of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just it makes apocalypse what what he was what he stayed back to do becomes a reality. Mm-hmm. I think is like the big point. Like he stayed back to create an army of mutants to come through mm-hmm. and free his people, and it happens. It yeah. just doesn't happen in the way that anyone thinks. Another apocalypse quote here as uh, as we flip toward the end of the book. Um, he says, I thought about this every night for thousands of years, a million nights. No matter what battle I had won that day, what greater mystery I had unlocked, no matter how many supple bodies lay beside me in my bed at night, I am always thinking about how this ends. Yeah. And it's just really awesome to hear Apocalypse just like knowing how long this has been in his mind and and everything that he's been working toward to get to this moment. It kind of just gives it this extra just like awe vibe over this whole thing. It is an awe vibe for sure. And it ends with... um... It ends with him de- destroying the helm, yeah, transforming it, or mm-hmm. Satanine transforms it into like a staff that she now has mm-hmm. possession of the Amenthian horde, um, and then the exchange of the islands of Araco for Apocalypse, um, yeah, was a very fun turn, and obviously that that has led now into this whole era and and next arc that you and I really enjoy yeah I remember when reading this issue for the first time um, kind of seeing how much that just makes sense like how well those puzzle pieces just fit together that like from the very very beginning you know um, the twilight sort of the enemy toward the world asunder and what was one became two you know from like the very first sentence of this entire thing and then the 40 times you read it after yeah and then the 40 times it comes after you know you have all of this set up for what was one became two that the world is not right it's not the way that things are supposed to be you know and then you finally have like the symmetry of it as Apocalypse says, I will stay behind and I choose the mutant island of Araco to kind of reunite with everything. It's just, yeah. it's it's a really fun symmetry that didn't go unnoticed by me as I read through the first time that 
here at the very end of this this entire long winding road it ends with apocalypse reuniting what was what was made wrong from the very first sentence of this whole thing of the whole thing and they do a great job now of then you have the spread pages of the x-men battling and they get a chance to show off all the teams like mm-hmm. essentially from all of the books that yeah. are that are ongoing uh so i guess to wrap it up big takeaways from ten of swords um i think that thematically it served as i think it is I think it is kind of a miracle that it ended up as cohesive as it is with so many cooks, mm-hmm. with so many characters, um, to be, I think, this pretty essential event that has already aged very well for me. Yeah, I think so. I, I think this event as a whole is just really bold, that it just it works really well, and it's kind of hard to believe with as many cooks in the kitchen that it, it works as well as it does. And I think it speaks to the cohesiveness of all of these writers and all of these yeah, artists. Of this that, era. Yeah. yeah. That it's, this is just a really cool experiment. And I think that it just, it works. And there are things about the story that I certainly, you know, I, I could hear criticism for some of the things that are just very out of left field. And for some people it'll work for me. Many of these things work. Same. Um, I understand some of the criticism i understand that some of these things are just so random that it i don't know where this came from and sometimes that doesn't always feel very good Mm -hmm. but um upon reading this from cover to cover again so much of this there's so many high points in this whether they're character beats or just massive huge scale things you know um, we have an entire episode on some of our favorite Kirk Cohen moments and the the final battle that to me my X Men yeah it, it's so rewarding and it, it really just feels like this all pays off. It's rereading Hickman's Avengers right now and now on Infinity. He there's a lot of it's it's similar but it's just it kind of hit me where it's like this is this is the Infinity of X Men mm-hmm. in regards to like. It is not the main story. It's not even the main threat, but everything was building up to this sure. to kind of close out that first arc of mm-hmm. what was happening. So I, I love it. I'm excited to, to kind of keep talking about it. I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk about Ten of Swords. Right. Now, um, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, this Ten of Swords thing sounds really cool, and I've listened to an hour-long episode that spoiled all of it, but I still want to read it for myself. Um, we should note that this is not the best jump on point. No. If this is going to be like your first X-Men thing that you Then you, that are, you, wanna, you might be doing X-Men wrong. You should probably check out House of X and Powers of Ten before you read this. But uh, this is a really, really fun event. All you would really need to read is, um, you know, all of these are out in trades and hardcovers at this point. If you wanted to start jumping into some of the this era of X-Men comics, you should definitely check out House of X and Powers of Ten. Cody rereads it every two weeks or so. <laughs> right before um, bedtime. Right yeah. before bedtime. And Ten of Swords. If you wanted to, you could jump straight in after House and Powers. Um, but there are some things that you know you could definitely get from some of the Hickman's X-Men. Excalibur. Some of the Excalibur books. Cable. Um, and many, many of these other stories intertwine with what happens in Ten of Swords. But and this is a good. really fun story. And are worth reading. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. 
yeah, Hellions is great. Cable is great. Marauders is really, really fun. Um, everything is worth reading. But if you desired, you could read House and Powers of Ten uh, and then jump into Ten of Swords. I think so. I think that's true. I think there might be a few pieces that you're you're sleeping on, but I think it would still be cohesive enough if you have enough of an understanding of who the X-Men are. Yeah. So... All right, well, we are going to wrap up this extremely long episode now. Thank you for listening. Um, this has been Immortal X Friends, and we will see you next time. See you later. Keep reading Thanks comics. Thanks for listening. <laughs>